Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of Jacked Radio. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing my mum, something which I don't think I ever thought I would be doing for a podcast, but I think my mum has a really, really interesting insight into, number one, the COVID pandemic, because uh, as you will hear her talk about, she's working as a locum GP, which is slightly different to working in a practice. So she works at various practices um, across the area she lives in. But also because when my mum was getting towards 50, she decided to take up endurance sports. And that's something that has been really, really cool to see. We've also been through quite a significant weight loss journey together. For anyone who's followed me for a long time, uh, you'll see some of the pictures of that for both me and my mum. So all of this experience combined, both from personal and professional life, I think gives my mum a really good perspective on taking care of your health, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually, actually. So I thought it was about time that we get her on the podcast and get her chatting about some of her experiences to hopefully share with you some little nuggets of knowledge from her life. So please enjoy this episode with my mum, Dr. Ali Field. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, mum. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Jack. Did you ever think you'd be featured on one of your son's podcasts? No, it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting experience and rather lovely, yeah, I have well, to say. <laughs> thank you for, ta- thank you for, uh, for giving, giving me the time to do it. You're welcome. Um, for everybody listening, can you explain what it is you do for a living? Yes, um, I am currently um, a GP locum. So I was a GP partner until about two years ago in um, an inner city practice in Leeds and decided um, as I near retirement age to try and get a, a slightly better um, work home life balance and a bit more flexibility. So, um, so I do GP locum work now. Cool. And because we can't really avoid the question, because we're all in the thick of it, how are you getting on during this kind of lockdown pandemic period, personally first? Um, So personally, um, do you know what? I think I was brought up in the countryside and I spent quite a lot of time on my own as a child. And I feel like that's given me really good skills um, to to manage this, if I'm honest, um, I'm quite happy pottering around and um, you know being in the garden, and I never feel like I'm short of things to do. So, but I think you know that's very much to do with with my upbringing, um, and also you know I have I have to be honest, um, you know here I am, middle class woman, living in um, a nice warm house with a garden. I've got enough food. Um, and, you know, I don't have to manage a young family. So I think, you know, I'm very privileged um, and I'm very aware that I think I'm, I'm lucky to be in the situation that I'm in during the current lockdown. But, um, but yeah, um, I feel actually we're OK. It was a bit shocking to start with. Um, I do miss having hugs and, you know, I miss having hugs with my family and friends. But um, we have the miracle of Zoom and Skype and even got my old mum onto Skype. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's OK. It's OK. I think we've had an adjustment period and um, I'm fairly settled and probably don't really want to go out into the big wide world again now <laughs> I'd think, stay in my garden <laughs> <laughs> I think Morgan uh, Morgan brought up a really good point on um, not the last episode but the one before when she said I think that there'll be a, an adjustment period on the other side of this as well that I hadn't really thought about the fact that we had to adjust to lockdown but I think we'll have to adjust to returning to whatever new normal we have on the other side too Absolutely right. I mean, quite a few of my friends are saying, um, you know, they feel a bit anxious about going out and about again. And I think you're right. I think it's it's not going to be an immediate thing. I mean, I guess there's some people who are just desperate to get out there. But certainly, you know, a lot of my mates have settled into this surprisingly well. And I think, you know, they've discovered, um, you know, probably reset the priorities a bit and discovered yeah. that they have different things in life that are important to them now. So, you know, it may well make for some permanent and and possibly very good changes. Has that happened to you as well, do you think? Um, 
Yeah, I, do you know what's got better for me? I mean, maybe it's just because I've had the time. I'm, I've not been out and about doing other things, but self care. You know, things like make sleep, making sure I get enough sleep. Um, that's possibly been the major change. I've been working really hard on a, on a proper sleep pattern, really just to to help manage this whole thing, and um, also not using the car because I only use the car for work. If I'm going out otherwise to exercise, um, I do it all on foot. Um, you know, the dog walks are on foot. We don't drive anywhere else. And um, I think it's amazing what you can do um, without going very far. And in lots of ways, I feel quite calm, um, interestingly. Mm. I guess it's been a bit of an opportunity to slow down with stuff like that as well. And I did I did see a really interesting question about, uh, not a question, sorry, an interesting quote about, this idea of returning to normal and instead of just thinking about going straight back to how it was before, maybe it's an opportunity to think about what wasn't good about life before and if there's anything that needs to change that we can take action on going forward. Absolutely right. Do you know, I mean, I've been saying to people for a long time now that our lives are very abnormal. Um, You know, the amount of stress that we all have in our lives or have had in our lives on a day-to-day basis and, you know, information overload, social, um, what's it called? The technology, <laughs> social <Sorry>. networking. <laughs> God, you can tell I'm 57. Um, so, <laughs> the, the Google machine. <laughs> yes. Jack, how do I do this? <laughs> how do I do an internet? anyway yes all of that but I think you know we've got too much stuff in our lives and it's not a wonder that I see a whole load of stress related problems either you know manifesting as mental health problems or emotional difficulties or physical problems resulting from excess stress and you know I would really like to think that and I know this is a stressful period, but I actually think the slowdown that we've had to do if we can hang on to some of that I think it will be beneficial to us it's just whether or not we can do it long term who knows but um yeah i've definitely slowed down which is an absolute miracle isn't it it is does that mean less less red bull and more sleep then absolutely no (laughs) red bull (laughs) don't give away my secrets (laughs) that's for any med students listening uh yeah get used to drinking lots of red bull (laughs) it's dreadful stuff (laughs) um in terms of work then, because you've you've still been doing some work through lockdown, has that changed for you, sort of pre-lockdown to post-lockdown, or even pre-coronavirus, post-coronavirus, or pre-enduring coronavirus? And what's it been like working as a GP during the pandemic? Well, I think for me personally, because I'm a locum, so I don't have a fixed place of work, um, I've had to deal with a lot of uncertainty um because obviously as locums we fill in we fill in the gaps but a a lot of practices haven't been sure what their gaps are so um instead of being able to plan work well ahead I've I've literally been saying to practices when they've rung me that I will work the next day so um, that initially caused some anxiety but um I managed to to relax about it and interestingly you know I've had enough work um and you know that's not a surprise it's just been dealing with it in a different way um the big change for us as gps i think is managing everything on the phone um or almost everything on the phone and and um i am somebody who doesn't really like the phone i don't like it as a as a means of communication with with patients or with friends really so it's been quite a big learning curve for me and um, i find it surprisingly tiring um, because you've really got to concentrate on every single word that people say. And of course, I don't have the, the non-visual, um, the, you know, the visual clues to uh, the non-verbal communication to work with. And, and it's made me realize, you know, how much of a part of my assessment that non-verbal communication is. So, you know, we're having to do um, a lot of safety netting. Um, I'm having to work in a way that doesn't feel entirely comfortable because, you know, when I'd normally get people in just to just to see and, and examine them and have a have a face-to-face chat with them, um, you know, we're trying as far as we can to keep people out of the surgeries. Um, but I have to say that, you know, um, most, most people who use the service have been really fantastic, really receptive to the difficulties that we have. 
Um, and I think, you know, we have made it clear that we're working in unusual circumstances and not practicing like we would do normally. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a big learning curve. I mean, obviously, we do still get people in and, and um, have to wear PPE um, when we see people, which is a bit odd. Um, and, um, yeah, <laughs> it just feels really weird for them, actually, that they can't see my face because I, I guess for some people it must feel quite scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, how quickly humans adapt? And I think it hasn't taken that long for for it to be the norm now when people go to the surgery that the people that they see are going to be wearing face masks and gloves and aprons and and that's just how it is. So I think, you know, we're adapting really well. Um, uh, it's slightly different at every different surgery that I go to, so that's another thing that I have to deal with. But um, in some ways, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a challenge and, um, I, you know, I think it's it's quite reassuring for me that I can rise to that on a personal level um you know i've met some absolutely fantastic nhs staff working their socks off through all of this and um i found that some of the time you know when i'm talking to patients they are quite anxious and um i actually have a bit of a chat with them especially for the elderly because i think that's the only contact they're getting some of them or one of the few contacts that they're getting so i've had some really nice chats with some elderly folk about all sorts of things so, yeah, it's been very different, but I think we are accepting it as the norm fairly quickly. And I think most of us here feel like, you know, we don't want to change things too quickly um, because, you know, we fear um, an escalation if, if things are relaxed too soon. But I won't get political. <laughs> do, you, do you think there'll be, you know, parts of this that might stay long term, for example, using something like, if someone can't get into the surgery, something like a Skype uh, or a Zoom or a, or a video call service that GP might be able to get set up for patients? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, well, I think there's a couple of things that have happened. One is that, that people are using the information that's out there already themselves before they even come to discuss with the doctor. So, you know, that, that people have really risen well to, to this challenge and, uh, you know, they use N- um, NHS information and check their symptoms um, on, on the NHS websites before they actually come to us. And that's not just for COVID, but for other things. Um, so I think, yeah, people are taking more responsibility for their own health. Um, but it's, you know, video consultations particularly are fantastically useful um, for a lot of things. So, you know, rashes, um, you know, perhaps more minor stuff, um, and also, you know, for mental health problems, um, you know, if people are finding it really difficult to get out of the home because they're very anxious, we can talk to them, you know, via um, the, the networks that I use. I mean, I've been using a thing called Acurix, but there's various other ones around. And, um, and yeah, I think, it, I think it will change how things are done. I also think that patients quite like not having to come into the surgery, Um you know, it's it's a bit of a pain, isn't it, for some of them to travel there, to have to wait in the surgery for, if we're running a bit late. And this gives a little bit more flexibility. So, yeah, I, I think it will mean long-term changes in the way we work. Um, and and I do, you know, whilst I'm not over keen on the phone, I'm certainly adapting to it. And I think, um, I think video appointments are great. So, yeah, who knows? So now, now, we've, now we've done the heavy stuff. Now we've... We've got coronavirus out of the way, Hurrah! Uh, <laughs> because I, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that too much because I think we've got some some other stuff that people are going to find uh, really valuable that we can kind of tie up together with what's going on now at the end. Uh, because when I decided to lose weight and change my health when I was seventeen, that was something that you also did at the same time, and. My my idea was I think I'll use the cover photo as there's there's a picture of us looking yeah. rather um rather red in the face. Both of us um and quite a lot quite a lot bigger than we are now uh, yeah. outside the front door. But the really the, the question I wanted to ask because we've kind of talked about it briefly and I've obviously shared on my platforms why I decided to make a change um at that point because obviously there hadn't been enough kind of, I guess, pain uh, for us to to do anything. And, mm. and all of a sudden you have this this one thing where you might have been in a very similar situation for a long time, but then all of a sudden it does change. And 
I just wanted to ask you what your motivations to change were at that time because it pretty much happened almost on exactly the same day. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember that picture very well. And we were we were both um, well covered. Let's say we were well covered. Um, and I, I think on a personal level, you know, I've been through some really difficult stuff, and um, you know, was using had been using unhealthy coping mechanisms and, you know, food was one of them. And I think I was, I was starting to, um, to get my head around some of the other stuff and I'd, I'd got, you know, got the right help. And, um, and I think I'd been in a bit of denial about how unfit and heavy I was. Um, and perhaps it was partly seeing you um, decide to make the changes. I was probably hovering on that, um, you know, it, it takes me a while to to build up to committing to something. I was thinking this is how it is in my life. Um, and sometimes it is just because I need to get my head around it or sometimes it's because I've had enough pain. And, um, you know, I really didn't like the way it made me feel um, to be that unhealthy. Um, I, I think it, it was partly about just the feeling of carrying around all that excess weight. And at that time, I wasn't really doing very much exercise at all. And I, I didn't feel great. Um, and and I have to say that, you know, you were probably an inspiration for me to go, do you know what? I'll do it too. And there's, there's something about that kind of buddying up thing, isn't there, yeah. which, which can be great. So I think, you know, it, it can be really difficult to do something on your own. But if if two of you are doing it together, and obviously we were living in the same house and eating the same food, um, it's a lot easier to do it together. So, so yeah, thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. And I guess, well, Sam kind of led the charge um, a few years earlier when he got swine flu and lost about two stone in two weeks. Oh my and gosh, Just yeah. decided he was, uh, was going to stay there forever. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah, I remember. <laughs> First he lost weight from swine flu and then he grew about six inches over the summer and he just got really skinny. <laughs> and I think what, what was his, um, when you, you asked if he wanted to come to the gym with you and he kind of, looked himself up and down and went, oh, I think I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really annoying. <laughs> so Sam got it over and done within two weeks and it probably took us about three or four years. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't but, think he enjoyed it very much. I'd rather do it our way, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think there's, there was a bit more learning along the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it was definitely the case for me that I felt like I was at a crossroads where I think at that low point, it was either I can carry on going this way or I can do something about it. And the thought of it getting more and more, I guess, intense with how it was, like the, the kind of things I was feeling just scared me a bit. And I don't know if it was yeah. the same for you. Well, um, you know, I mean, I I had I'd already faced some really difficult issues. It's funny, isn't it? It's, I think a lot of people think that GPs are, are slightly different from normal humans, but actually we're very human and uh, go through potentially go through all the same kinds of things as as, as everybody does. And um, I had I'd faced some really difficult stuff and got through it. And um, and I think you know I'd kind of put the weight and the the unhealthiness of me and my body stuff to one side while I dealt with my, my mental and emotional health. And, um, and I, I think, yes, you know, I, I did, I was, I was becoming more and more uncomfortable with it. And uh, we talked about this, you know, it's only when you have enough pain that, that you start to make the changes, but I'd already had that experience of actually facing things instead of running away from them and going, right, I need to deal with this. So I think I, I didn't have fear, but, but I knew that it was uncomfortable. I had, I had a lot of faith that if I faced it head on, um, I'd be able to do it and you know that's that's been my experience since then really that um, you know it, it does me no good to run away from things um, if I'm uncomfortable with them I need to look at what it is that I've got to change and it might take me a while to get there you know it might take me longer than I'd ideally like to get there with making the changes but you know I, I will be able to do them so I think for you, that was perhaps your first time in doing it. I'd already, yeah. uh, you know, I'd already had that experience. But um, yeah, yeah, it was a, an interesting time. I think it's it's interesting how you, you said it was almost like a separation of put the physical to one side while I take care of my mental health. And then as you became more uncomfortable with where you were physically, it's almost like, I guess those two things started to join together a little bit. And 
I take it like over time it's become easier and easier to balance the two out? Well, well, I think they're probably quite strongly linked now. I mean, I think at, at that time, I very definitely had some other stuff that I needed to really focus on before I could do anything else. Um, but as, as I have grown as a person, I think, and become more balanced and learned some really healthy coping strategies, um, actually, you know, my, my physical and mental health work quite closely together, which is... Yeah. You know, maybe why looking after myself and exercise has become really important because, you know, it, it helps not only my physical health, but my mental health, without so a doubt. I guess it's less of a um, less of a balancing act where you're separating things out, but more so that things just become kind of meshed together in one big kind of circle of things that you take care of that encompasses health. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I, and I think, um, you know, when, when I'm seeing people, I talk quite a lot about um, using um, physical exercise to help with their mental health. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence around that. But also, personally, um, you, you know, I, I can see that, you know, sometimes you have to prioritize stuff. And um, it might be that, you know, if, if I'm having a heart attack, I've got to prioritize getting through the heart attack first and foremost. But then, you know, the other things work together. And I do think, you know, that, that, that physical and emotional health are, are absolutely linked together. And, um, you know, we can use the same kind of strategies for both of them, to be honest. And just, just going to, a diff, I guess, a different part of your journey now. Because it's interesting that there is uh, potentially a little bit of contrast with doing some endurance kind of races and events, which are in their very nature quite, I guess, painful and challenging. So (laughs) my question was, (laughs) two days before your 50th birthday, uh, you did the London Marathon. So I guess after, after, uh, you know, learning to balance all of these things, why did you do a marathon for your fiftieth birthday? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I remember asking myself that at mile nineteen. Why did I do this? Probably on the start um, line as well, right? <laughs> do you know? I think part of it is that having got through some stuff, um, I quite like to challenge myself to see what I'm made of. You know, see what I can do. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit of it. Um, there was no doubt that doing the marathon was partly in response to um, our dear, dear friend Teresa dying way too early. And um, it was to raise money for the hospice because they'd been so great in supporting us care for at home. Um, and, and I think, you know, she died early and, and, and um, I remember she said to me her, some really wise words, um, don't let fear stop you from doing the things you need or want to do. And that's really stayed with me. And I know, you know, we talked a bit before, not long before she died, about how she wished she'd done some more things. And um, and I think, you know, I had a bit of fear about taking on something like that. And um, I guess I partly did it, um, you know, out of respect for her. Um, so there was a charity, there was a charity thing. It was because I could, you know, because I was still alive and I could and and because of what she said to me and, and yeah, just you know, a little bit and the other thing is that uh, okay Sorry, I, we lost I, that bit I just lost you for a bit there. So you you kind of said that obviously there was part of it was uh, the charity side of it. And then I think we lost you just after that. Yeah, so um, part of it was the charity side of it. Um, part of it was um, uh, a kind of tribute, I think, to my friend. Um, and because I was still alive and I could. And, and part of it is because I find it quite difficult to motivate myself without a goal. Um, I am quite goal driven and, um, you know, and I also recognize I'm a kind of, you know, I'm an all or nothing girl. If I'm, if I'm going to do an event, it may as well be a big event. Um, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go for a 5k. No, let's do a marathon. Um, and that's just part of my personality. So, um, 
So I think having those sort of goals really helps me to keep going with the fitness and the exercise. Um, I mean, you know, the marathon was a big thing to do. And, and I did my training in four months, which was ridiculous. Um, but that was because I didn't get accepted to do it until late on. So, um, yeah, ridiculously short time to train. I would never recommend that to anybody, but I did it. Yeah, 16 weeks is ridiculous for a marathon. It's- <laughs> from nothing i mean most <laughs> most people take 12 months <laughs> yeah well I mean, I mean there's a bit you know um i did it because i've been accepted as as part of the hospice team um what i would say you know I, I genuinely would never recommend anybody to do it like i did i mean i just i just started doing training and one of my friends who'd run a lot of marathons helped me but um, as, as a word of precaution, I did no strength training, which, um, which I really, I learned later on that that was, that was definitely a, um, a big mistake. And actually, um, you know, I tore my calf muscle at week, week eight of training. So I did the last eight weeks on a cross trainer. So I'd spent four hours in the gym on a cross trainer, just trying to get the miles in. And um, it was an incredibly boring way to train. Um, but I have a massive stubborn streak and I'd committed to doing it. And um, I'd only actually done two short road runs um, before the marathon just to test it out to make sure I could. And, and I went into it thinking, you know, if I can't do it, I can't do it. Um, I'll just see how it goes. Um, but... I didn't have the road miles in really to make it a comfortable run. Um, although I have to say, you know, the, the, the first 13 miles were, were pretty comfortable. And I remember seeing you and Sam at, at mile 13. I was kind of all smiley and like, yeah, this is fine. It's going well. At mile 19. <laughs> I thought you'd been in Vietnam. <laughs> I was a broken man. <laughs> And I remember coming up to you two on the sidelines saying, this is really effing hard now. And um, you two went, go on, you can't go back. You've got to keep going. So I did. And it was, that was great, actually. That's all I needed. I needed. I needed to see faces of the two people I love most in the world saying to me, go on, you can do it. And, um, and it was tough. You know, that, I mean, actually, you know, if I ever doubted my my stubborn streak that last seven miles of the marathon and um, proved to me that I've got a huge stubborn streak let's call it determination um That's probably but it, it it was very very tough and I, I I thought at the end of it that I'd feel hugely elated and quite emotional about having achieved this thing actually what I really wanted to do was lie down on the pavement and go to sleep <laughs> can I just can I just put a caveat on that story that um further to the determination of finishing the marathon we actually got back to where we were staying and you and Sam started to relax and then I checked my watch and the train times and realized <laughs> that we were, we'd just unpacked everything and we were already five minutes late for setting off and not only did you run the marathon you had to pack up everything in the flat that we were staying in and run to the train to get the overground <laughs> and then run from one side of bank to the other, which yeah. people haven't been to bank underground. It's absolutely chuffing enormous. And you had to run up the stairs. And I remember passing you on the stairs and just taking all your bags off you so you could run faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was remember shouting to uh, the train guard on King's Crossing, <laughs> hold the doors, we're nearly there. <laughs> just seeing you like drag your legs around the corner. <laughs> yeah we had we hadn't planned for that had we and it 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 was um that was a tough one yeah that that was the real final push I was absolutely exhausted after that um and and I do remember having to go down the stairs backwards for for several days after um but do you know what um actually you know despite the fact that it hadn't really gone to plan I still did it and I finished it and I didn't finish in the time that I wanted but I finished it and it was you know a few days after when I I sort of realized that actually, you know, I'd achieved quite a, quite a thing, um, given the difficulties with training. And, um, it was, it was so brilliant to feel that fit. And, um, I actually remember going out for a little run two days later and thinking, wow, you know, this isn't too bad actually. And I I went on, I, I was persuaded to do the lead half marathon three weeks later by a friend of mine who said, go on, you don't need to do any training. Um, so I ran the Leeds half three weeks later 
And then I think it was a couple of months after that, I did the Yorkshire Three Peaks for charity. Um, and you know what? I ran some of that actually. And um, it, it just felt so fantastic to have that level of fitness. You know, I felt great. I felt healthy. I was eating really well. I was probably at, at my best fighting weight. And, um, and yeah, you know, just to be able to do all that without feeling out of breath or in too much pain was great. And is, is that been, I guess, a bit of a, a bit of a moving target with other priorities in life? Obviously, you know, it was, it was a time where you'd felt fitter than, than you had in a long time. And I imagine that had a, you know, a really positive, well, I know it had a really positive effect on your mental health um, because obviously we were still living at home, but has, has the goal, you know, with, with other goalposts in your life changing, has that also, I guess, expectations of maintaining that had to change? Yeah, I mean, you know, doing a doing endurance training, um, you know, and I, I mean, I'm no, I'm no fantastic athlete. I'm just an ordinary woman doing weirdly stupid things. Um, but actually, um, it does take up a lot of your life. So, you know, for those four months, what I did was work and train. Um, that's what I did for four months, and there wasn't very much time for anything else. And, you know. I, I don't have the, the kind of life where I can maintain that. So it has been a flexible thing. But since then, intermittent, you know, I've always done something. I've always been active. Um, I mean, I, th- I then went on to get um, one dog and then two dogs, partly to encourage me to, um, you know, to get out there every day and, and get some exercise every day. Um, you know, it's another motivator for me, plus their fantastic company. Um, and, you know, the dogs come running with me. And, you know, that's, that's something that keeps me going. Um, I've, I've started swimming more. I started cycling more. Um, and, and, yeah, how much I do depends on what things have been going on in my life. Um, but, you know, my, my hope is that as, my, as I near retirement and my work commitments slow off and, and eventually stop, that I'll actually have more time to do some of those things that I want to do because you know i i read iron gram um and uh, i mentioned it to sam who just raised his eyes went oh for god's sake i was like do you think i could do an iron man sam <laughs> and you know i haven't completely discounted that one yet so who knows but yeah we, um yeah there were other things that i went on to do so um I, I then a couple of years ago did a triathlon for the first time I was just about to say, I'm sure people could uh, guess where we were going, having just run a marathon and talking about getting into swimming and cycling, where the, yeah. uh, where that journey was headed. So the triathlon was a completely different beast, right? Oh, completely different. Yeah. So, so the triathlon, um, it was inspired. Um, so the motivation for that came um, through raising money um, for my friend Martin Hibbert, who was... Um, the one, one of two of the closest survivors to the Manchester bomb blast. So he and his daughter were the closest survivors and, and Martin was paralyzed from the waist down. And I mean, you know, he has been an absolute inspiration. And I kind of looked at what he was achieving in his recovery from, from those horrific injuries. I mean, he was, he was lucky, you know, they were both very lucky to be alive. And um, I, th- I think, you know, maybe there's something if somebody close to me is going through something, I, I, I perhaps I feel a need as, as somebody as, who does a lot of care and I feel the need to do something and to do something positive rather than to, you know, to, to just sit and, 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 you know, feel sorry for them. It feels like a practical, positive um, solution fits well with me. So, so I decided that, um, I was going to do the the Leeds Triathlon, um, which was just a year over um, the first anniversary of of the Manchester bomb. And um, in the process of that, I I, um, roped in two of my girlfriends, (laughs) who I don't think have forgiven me yet. And then another friend of mine who who did triathlons, he started doing triathlons in his 50s. So there was a team of four of us. And um, yeah, so that was also... Um, yeah, a whole different thing. And, you know, training for three different um, modalities was was quite interesting, fitting all of that in. And this time, um, I took the advice of, of um, uh, 
my son with with all of his experience and actually um got myself a personal trainer and um i i saw the wonderful ian busfield um at least once a week um throughout that to do strength training and isn't it interesting that i didn't get any injuries or very few i mean i, I you know I, I do have quite severe arthritis in my knee and i've, I've got some slip discs and stuff and those are things that i have to deal with on an ongoing um basis but i didn't have any major injuries during my training for that and um he was very patient with me and and we had a lot of laughs together as well which was great and you know just having that support um, while I was building up to it was was invaluable so yeah I'd say to anybody who's doing endurance stuff get yourself a personal trainer and do do strength training um, because it made such a difference to me I think that's it's something that I know Mark who is on episode two who obviously Mark trains with me twice a week is definitely uh, reflected in I guess his sort of sentiments about training that it's it's had a really positive impact doing strength training alongside the endurance stuff yeah and I won't I won't bore people with the science of why that happens, but I I'm totally on the same, you know, the same thought path with that one that the the two go massively hand in hand. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, there's really good evidence that strength training is great for your mental health. Actually, first off, um, and I think secondly, it just helps prevent you get injuries. And and you know, I was what was a fifth. 55 when I did the triathlon and you know 55 is an age where you start getting more injuries potentially and um you know I didn't want that to happen and it was you know it, it made such a difference and you know what the other thing is the moral support that you get from your personal trainer and I think you know just that person who's there to keep you motivated to keep you going when you're feeling absolutely fed up with it all um you know somebody to keep pushing you a bit harder when you don't think you can do anymore and they go, actually you can. And then you discover that actually you can. <laughs> so yeah, um, it, it made a, a great difference. Uh, one thing I would like to say about the triathlon was that um, at the time I couldn't swim front crawl and um, I had a couple of lessons, but it became clear to me that there was no way I was going to be um, strong enough doing front crawl to do it in the triathlon. And not many people do breaststroke in the triathlon, but there's, there isn't anything that says you can't. And I thought, well, I'll just do it then. I'll just do it breaststroke. And I think there has to be an acceptance around that, that you're going to be slower but for me, it was all about just doing it, just actually getting the thing done, completing it. And um, it was, you know what, it was lovely. I mean, I was definitely one of the slowest around the lake and the guys in the canoes and the people on the sides were so supportive. Um, it took me as long to swim as it did to run. Um, and I was very cold when I got out of the water. But, you know, if anybody else is thinking about doing a triathlon, you know, there's ways and means around everything. Um, you know, you may not be able to do it like the top athletes, but you can find solutions. And, you know, it is possible to do it. Even if you can't run 10K, you can walk run it. Um, you know, so you don't have to be a top athlete to do these things. Anybody can do it. Um, and I saw a lot of people doing the triathlon who did not look like natural athletes. Um, but you know they were giving it a great go and and you know that's kind of what it's all about isn't it yeah definitely and uh, on the note of the run um can we can we talk about what what changed between lap one and lap three <laughs> uh, because it was two, two quite different pictures <laughs> so lap one I was really tired and then all of a sudden on lap two of Leeds City Centre, I got really emotional um, and it was partly exhaustion. But I think it was just, you know, obviously it had been quite a big deal. I'd spent a lot of time preparing. We'd done a lot of charity, you know, fundraising for it. And the finish line was, was um, not too far away. And I started crying and I couldn't stop. So I cried my way around the last lap of Leeds. 
And when I got over the finish line, um, I, I really broke down. And I think they thought that, you know, physically I was exhausted. And I wasn't. It was just, it was sheer emotion. I mean, you know, the Red Cross guys were super lovely with me and, um, you know, um, made sure that I was okay physically. But it was literally just, it was overwhelming, emotional. And, and I think having that support and also, you know, when you see your family, at the finish line and the two girls who, who I'd done it with, they were both half my age and they ran the very last bit with me. And, you know, I can still feel emotional thinking about that. Um, it was just, it was just overwhelming, but wonderful. Um, you know, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, both of those things have been so tough, but the feeling afterwards has been fantastic. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd say to anybody, you know, the, the, don't say I can't, you know, have a go. It doesn't matter if you can't do it, but, you know, you could have a go. And I've been inspired, you know, I, I love seeing top athletes and, and I love seeing, you know, competitive sport. But the thing that really gets me in my heart is, you know, seeing people who wouldn't normally do that kind of thing, having a go. And, you know, when you see the the, the guys who are blind running with somebody, in it, I, I mean, I sob every time I see that. Um, and Julie doing it, you know, walking the Great North Run with MS, you know, how fabulous is that? So, you know, we can all do it. It's, it's a lot of it is our heads that tell us that we can't do something. If you can get over your head, um, you know, your bodies will actually do more than you think they will. And what, what I will do is in the um, description of the episode, if you give me the link to, um, to any sort of fundraising or anything, um, your your friend is still doing or if he's got uh, i will yeah he's, a foundation he's, website or anything like that so he's he's got his own charity now and he continues cool. to do amazing things so yeah i will we'll, we'll make sure that's in the description so everyone can visit it as well then great Absolutely. Um, and I th- you kind of started talking about it already because i think a lot of events like this are quite you know potentially transformational in some way or another sometimes you get that you know, this, it sounds like there's quite a comparison between you finished the marathon and you're expecting that overwhelmed feeling, but all you wanted to do was just lie down where the triathlon was almost the other end of the spectrum there, where you did get that overwhelming emotional, like release at the end of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really big, uh, probably really difficult question to answer, but because I like putting people on the spot, I'm going to ask <laughs> you it anyway. Um, you could have raised money for those things in other ways. So why go through the, I guess, the pains of endurance and, and what motivated you to to keep going through those either difficult times in training or the times when you just didn't want to do it or even times in the race where you just thought, like, I don't know if this is going to be a goer anymore. Well, I think for um, for the marathon, it was the fact that my friend, who was only a couple of years older than me, had actually died. And I just thought, Do you know what, I have this life. And, um, and yeah, it might be painful, but I'm alive and I can do it. And it was, it was, it was kind of linked around that. And I think um, during the triathlon, when I was feeling the pain, I just thought of what Martin was going through. And thought, you know, whatever I'm going through with my training is nothing compared to what he has to do in his his recovery and his rehabilitation. And um, there was a, yeah, it was a kind of, I don't know, um, maybe a sort of what a, a kind of weird kind of support for him. I mean, it wasn't direct, but you know, and again, a kind of tribute to to his mental strength. Um, and it's just like, yeah. Um, if if he can do it, I'm damn sure I can do this bit to raise some money. Um, so yeah, yeah, and you know, I do have this um, streak of determination, and you know, maybe I like to to prove that um, I can do more than I think I can. Don't know where that, don't know where that comes from or where it gets me, but I think you know the overall feeling at the end of it is a very positive one, and um, and I think you know having achieved those things physically it's made me realize that, you know, there's a lot of difficult things in life that I can get through. It may be really hard, um, but if I just keep going um, and and get help, that's the other thing, you know, get help from people I need. So, you know, support from friends or, and, you know, for the, for the training, um, personal training, um, you know, talking to other people who've done it, um, 
getting lessons in swimming, you know, all of those things. If you, if you just get the right help, you, you can usually get there. And I think that applies to personal stuff and personal challenges. I was just about to say, I think that's, you know, very similar for if you look at any sort of challenge you have, whether it's physical or not. I think that, you know, just asking for help when, when you need it is a really important thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I have been reflecting a bit on this, you know, and as a, as a kind of independent single parent for quite a lot of years, um, I, I assumed that I had to do everything on my own. And actually, um, what I've come to realize through, through enough pain is that, you know, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and allowing yourself to ask for help is a huge strength. And um, it took me over 40 years to, to kind of get my head around that one. And, um, you know, if... <laughs> If anybody else can get that message sooner, then then wonderful. Because you know, be, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and asking for help is a huge strength. It's not a weakness. It, it sounds like all of that, I guess, post this time in your life where you you had gone through a lot of you know personal struggles and all the stuff that kind of came out of that has been really transformative. So, what sort of impact does? staying fit have on your life now like professionally and personally well I think um you know particularly sort of running and cycling for me being outdoors and doing exercise um it just keeps my head in the right place it's it's one of the few times where I can live in the moment um and not worry about anything I just really focus and particularly when I'm running because I do a lot of counting when I'm running um, so if I'm, if I'm struggling a bit, you know, I'll set myself little targets. I'll get to the next telegraph pole and really I'm just focusing on what I'm doing. And I think that gives my head a rest and, and that's a good thing. And also, you know, we get endorphins from exercise, which makes us feel more relaxed. We, we sleep better. Um, so, you know, it does help hugely with my mental health and there's no doubt that although I may not want to do exercise, I can guarantee you. I feel better after I've done it than I did before I set out. And the hardest bit for me is just getting my kit on. Once I've got my kit on, that's it. I'll, I'll be doing it. So, yeah, it, it just, you know, it keeps my head in the right space. And I also just like the feeling of being fit and being able to, you know, to, to do things without being hugely out of puff. And I think um, one thing I would like to, to be is active into my, you know, later years and, uh, I genuinely feel like, you know, if, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I would like to think that I'll be able to remain independent um, <laughs> as I get into my 80s and bother you two more and more, <laughs> do madder and madder things. But, you know, using our muscles is really important, um, you know, and to help prevent, um, you know, osteoporosis and all those kind of things. So there's loads of health benefits. You know, I don't want to get diabetes. There's, there's, there's lots of different reasons. But mostly, do you know what? I just actually quite like it now. Um, I don't put too much pressure on myself. Makes me feel better. Kind of just act, enjoy being out there. Uh, was there another bit to that question or is that it? <laughs> no, no, that was it. <laughs> um, what, what I was actually going to ask you next is just like the, I guess the practical side of obviously, you know, we can't do things within the norm, the quote unquote normal or pre coronavirus constraints of what daily life was like. So what are you doing right now to, to keep fit and healthy in lockdown? Obviously, aside from potentially wrestling one of the dogs, who's a bit <laughs> feral, yes. part, part wolf, part husky. Wolfie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Asbo dog. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was. I'd, um, I'd signed up to do the Great North Run, and um, whether that or not that'll be on, I've got no idea. But I'm trying to just get some running in. Um, so um, I'm doing some strength training at home, courtesy of Jack Curtis. Thank you very much, my love. Um, all right. And um, so, you know, we can all do that at home. It is possible to do strength training at home and you don't need to be in a gym to do that. Um, I'm generally pretty active. Um, so, you know, I'm gardening like a lunatic at the moment and um, <laughs> that's really good exercise. Um, and I'm using my hour um, to, you know, I don't, use, I don't use the car for my exercise um, I either do speed walking or running with the dogs at the moment. Um, 
if I had, if I was able to do it, I would go out on my bike. But because my my exercise has to be combined with dog walking, um, I'm doing that. But do you know what? I can do I can do a comfortable three or four miles with the dogs. It wears them out. It it makes me feel better. And um, and you know, we've got a garden that we can run around in. So I, I do some. <laughs> I've done a homemade agility course for the dogs which is hilarious um but we do quite a bit of running around so you know just being active i think it doesn't have to be a structured thing yeah um we can actually just get outside and, and do do some moving just move around that's all you need to do yeah and i'm i'm sure the dogs keep you entertained on the walks as well absolutely they do yes yes we won't go into area <laughs> That would take a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, Daisy Blesser is such a stoic; she just plods along. Daisy the spaniel, but Aria the wolf is a whole different ball game. <laughs> <laughs> so to to just kind of wrap things up, I guess, because we've we've kind of almost gone through like the whole, you know, where where you're, I guess, a, a deeper kind of dive into your own personal health in all kind of aspects started to where we are now like looking back on it and even just I guess taking some time to think about what's going on right now would you have any you know words of wisdom or advice for anyone and be that you know in general for taking care of your health mental physical emotional spiritual whatever that is but also doing so in lockdown is there anything that you would you would say for that Um, I think, you know, be really gentle with yourselves. Um, This is a difficult time. And I think, you know, a lot of us, we've gone into lockdown or social distancing thinking, well, I must do this and I must do that. Actually, don't worry about it. Just be gentle with yourselves. It's quite difficult. There's a thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I absolutely love. And um, if anybody, if you want to look it up, you know, basically we're, we're at the bottom two levels. And, and at the moment, it's difficult for everybody. You know, we're trying to make sure that we're safe and secure and that we've got food to eat. And it's hard for us to achieve our full potential under the c- current circumstances. And I think there's a lot of expectation that we should be doing a lot of stuff. Just be gentle, be really kind with yourselves. Um, but, you know, I would say that, you know, using your hour to do something active is a great thing, not just for your body but for your head um i'd also say you know i know um i think a lot of people have been worried about contacting their gps and other medical professionals about anything other than covid um you know there's other things that go on and and one of our concerns at the moment i think julian said it you know that we're we're a bit worried about people white knuckling strokes and heart attacks at home and um you know we are still here we do still see people so um you know don't be worried about ringing the health professionals and um you know talk about how you're feeling it's okay to feel vulnerable it's okay to feel frightened um there is no weakness in that have a good cry about it you know it's, it's absolutely fine get it out don't keep it in some very very good words of wisdom to finish with (laughs) well thank you very much for coming on the podcast today mum that's all right son i've really enjoyed it (laughs) thank you for asking me and i you know i think people will get a lot about hearing about not just the i guess the physical aspect of endurance but also the the emotional and the psychological and probably the spiritual side of it as well in how you absolutely done all that today so thank you very much yeah. you're welcome it's been a pleasure first of all i'd just like to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast it was an absolute pleasure to interview my mum because i don't often get the opportunity to speak to her in this sort of way so it was nice to ask her to reflect on some of the experiences that we've had together and get just her side of the the coin If you've enjoyed the episode, please do share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, whoever you think might also enjoy this one. Please like it, give us a download, give us a follow, let us know what you thought of it, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode.